Welcome to PTG TV. This is your host, Antonio Hicks. On my next series episode of Westward Bound, a journey through the political, technological, and gaming landscape of the West Coast, I'm glad to have on Theo Hollinsworth, a writer, a producer based in Oakland, California. Theo has over 15 years of experience, experience producing narrative films, documentaries, and web series. He works on a production team for Pixar Animation. Yes, that Pixar. And in his downtime, he's an independent writer and producer with several award-winning films and web series under his belt. He's currently in post-production on his second season of his award-winning comedic web series, Serious Lee, which is actually pretty funny, which is streaming on Quelly TV and on YouTube as well. Too. So welcome on to the show, brother. Awesome. Thank you so much, bro. I appreciate, uh, appreciate you having me. So give us a little bit about yourself before I get into some uh some some deep questions. Yeah, yeah. Like, who is um, Theo? Yeah, man. So um yeah, man, I am um like like my bio said, I just literally updated it a bit today. Um mm-hmm. uh, I appreciate you referencing that. Um yeah, man, I'm a filmmaker. Um filmmaker, been doing it for like over 15 years now. Um started um I grew up, I went to high school in Michigan. Um a word? Got- yeah, yeah, man. Outside of Michigan, Detroit, outside of Detroit, Canton, Michigan, it's a, a suburb. Um, okay, we're talking offline, but yeah, my um, my kids are from Saginaw, Michigan. Well, they from they grew up here, but I mean, they, my my ex wife, she's from Saginaw, Michigan. Oh, okay, cool, cool. Yeah, so Michigan was uh interesting. I, I went to a suburb. I went to a high school out there. It was actually like three high schools on um one big campus. It was mm-hmm. like over ten thousand students. Um, and they had a really uh, robust like video production program. And so I got my feet wet in that in like the early 2000s, like 2003, 2004, mm-hmm. uh, joined that. And I just like, it exposed me to the world of like video editing. Uh-huh. Um, and I was like, yo, this is dope because, you know, I'm a writer, I'm a creative, uh, but I come from a family of like engineers and, and folks with like, you know, technology backgrounds and stuff. So I was like, okay. Shout out to the engineers. Way that I can like justify to my parents, like, yo, even though I'm a creative, look, I'm inside of the editing suite. This is computers. It's still got a technical angle to it. So right. um, that kind of got my feet wet. And I just like, I dove in, started editing whatever I could. Um, and then that led me to, you know, my my senior year, I was trying to look for like what college I want to go to. And, uh, you know, my parents went to HBCU. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, all right, I'm, let me see what these HBCUs are talking about. Had Howard on my radar, mm-hmm. applied, got in, um, and majored in film production. Um, so I started in, uh, film production at Howard university in 2005, did four years there, um, had a great time, learned a lot more about it. And, um, yeah, I mean, it was, it was cool. Like it, it's, it's interesting cause it's not necessarily like Howard film is like, a um, like, a necessarily like a film school specifically there's a lot of cinematography yeah, i wouldn't have thought about that yeah that came out of there during that time it definitely felt like it had like an indie vibe like all my professors like they were renowned black mm-hmm. indie filmmakers you know but they were it wasn't a lot of folks that like went into the industry mm-hmm. um, so like i kind of feel like it kind of bred that like indie filmmaker uh vibe in me and so like you know i uh after college Really, it was like, I mean, I'm I'm focused on making my own stuff, but this mm-hmm. ain't going in a nine to five. And then I don't like the like whole like jumping from major film to major film and then having to look for like a, the next job, like right after you're done or while you're in that. So I was like, all right, let me see what the technology industry is talking about. Uh-huh. Um, Because tech is big. You know, my my uh, girlfriend at the time, my wife, she 
uh, had big dreams after college of like doing a, her own uh, startup. Uh-huh. And so she was like, yo, I moved to the Bay Area. I got this green smoothie company that would work really well out there. So I'm going to the Bay. And I was like, uh-huh. oh, I had had a little job in tech at the time working for a video uh, platform. And I was like, but there might be some more money, some more opportunities out there. So mm-hmm. that kind of brought me to the Bay Area. That was in like 2013 uh, when I got brought to the Bay Area. And I was just like, got into the tech scene, was working for um, uh, streaming. Like it was it was like a um, a video ad platform mm-hmm. um, that's now owned by Adobe. Um, and I just was like customer service, worked my way up, like technical support, really just kind of dabbled in this like online video ad industry. Yeah. Like shit, like I'm not using my film degree. These aren't creative jobs. I understand how technology works, but like, this isn't giving me the like gratification I need as a creative and as a filmmaker. So right. Oakland is where I like uh, really just started to build my film community and do a lot of independent projects. Um, you know, I did like a, a, a pilot for like a, a, a TV series that I wrote, produced. Mm-hmm. Um, I uh, started doing a lot of documentary work that led to kind of my first official nine to five in the video, like the creative industry. Uh-huh. So I got job with this nonprofit in San Francisco um called Bay Cat. Uh-huh. It's called uh it stands for the Bayview Centers uh Bayview Hunter Point. It's a long ass name, but like basically there's this black neighborhood in San Francisco called the Bayview uh Bayview Hunters Point. Mm-hmm. Um and so they had this nonprofit called uh Bay Cat that was like Bayview Hunters Point Center for Arts and Technology is what Bay Cat stands for. And what they are is like it's a a video production company, mm-hmm. but also a training academy specifically targeted at training people underrepresented in the creative industry, in the film and TV industry, right? So it was like, we had big clients. We had clients like the Golden State Warriors, um, but we also like worked on, we had like a youth training program. And then we also had like a, 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 a young adult internship program. So mm-hmm. my job, was I may I like helped to produce I edited for the studio but also my main focus was running this young adult internship program so I'd work with anywhere from like 12 to 15 young adult interns that were like all black or brown or Asian or women you know people of color just are people generally underrepresented in the industry so I was helping them to learn their video production skills Mm-hmm. while also helping them to um, get their professional credentials together, learn how to get into the job market, get full-time jobs in the industry. And that was great. And I was still continuing to do independent stuff on the side. Mm-hmm. Uh, ultimately, that's what led me to, like, after a few years there, the pandemic hit. Um, that's what led me to uh, get a job at Pixar. Pixar is also based there in Emeryville, which is like a small town surrounded by Oakland. Uh-huh. And- I had a relationship with them through my time at Baycat. So that led me to Baycat. And along the way, like, so that's the full film journey that's right. what now. But underlying all of that, I continue to make my own independent uh, projects, documentaries. Uh, the biggest project to date, which is probably the center of this conversation, is this like sci fi musical comedy called Serious Lee. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the first season of Serious Lee in 2020. Um, and it, I wrote, produced, starred, acted in it, crewed up with a lot of folks from Baycat. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, yeah, that kind of took off, got some legs with it. And then now here I am like three years later, 
fully immersed in the animation industry full time. I'm a department manager there. So I manage teams of artists. I manage okay. schedules, budgets, people, um, just continue, you know, like continuing on that trajectory now full time in the film industry, but also on the side, continuing to make these projects and got an opportunity to make a second season of this web series seriously. And this one is where I was like, all right, let me combine my experience in both um, live action, narrative filmmaking and animation. Uh -huh. So yeah, that's the that's the long story. That's who Theo is. Um. <laughs> so let's start back at the beginning. Yeah. So you went to school for film and production, but your family were like engineers. So how did they actually, how did they end up feeling about that? Yeah, um, supportive surprisingly supportive it's not uh -huh. that story of like oh like no you need to do this 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 like i think because like you know my dad's a, a mechanical engineer he's done his whole time at ford motor company or at, at all the big all of the major uh, automotive industries my older mm -hmm. brother's also uh, uh, an engineer um and my uh little brother now he's a data scientist right so I've but I've always it's always been like and they're also big sports heads right they like watch mm -hmm. football all the time and it just wasn't ever the trends that I was doing right it was right. like all right cool enjoy football I'm gonna go over here and watch the Simpsons <laughs> like all right I can't really like I played a couple of years but I'm pretty trash at it right uh -huh. but I'm doing spoken word poetry right I'm doing all this these performance activities I'm doing musical theater just like all the creative stuff and I'm keeping my grades tight. You feel me? Yeah. And my my brothers, they didn't go to HBCU. I pick an HBCU to go to. So they're like, all right, cool. Like maybe, <laughs> you know, maybe there is some a little bit of trepidation because I was going from like DC, you know, I was going from Michigan, suburbs of Michigan to like DC. Yeah. I didn't grow up around black people. So it's like, oh, like, and it's dangerous. And da, da, da. My, my older brother went to a predominantly white school. My little brother went to a predominantly white school. So I think there was just more trepidation around like, you know, are you going to be able to fit in in this than it was like, are you going to be able to pursue this professionally? You know, because yeah. also it's like, whatever, you know, most folks, it's like, whatever you like, do your little arts degree, but you know, you need to get a job. And most people aren't even using their major. So it's like, if it don't work out, like, and my dad would keep pushing that, right? Even when I was in film school, uh -huh. internships, couldn't get an internship. Well, there's an internship program at Ford Motor Company in marketing. So I got an internship at Ford and was yeah. like, so they were, they were always supportive of it, but it was because they had already had like, like they had seen the work ethic yeah, and knew that like there was going to be built in backup plans and it wasn't just like nah this or nothing you know <laughs> yeah and i asked it for a reason because i mean i was because i'm an engineer i'm a network security engineer by trade and i thought that i was gonna have the same thing out of both of my boys but one of my oldest one he did one he did he started off his first two years going for film and production up in saginaw and delta but they didn't have a huge production industry up there so he when he left delta he went to Michigan State and he switched his degree up to marketing and uh, with emphasis on advertising, digital advertising and stuff. So, and I'm not, I'm, I'm like your parents. I'm just like, hey man, you know, it'd be nice if you was an engineer, but at the end of the day, I want you to be passionate about what you're doing. And when you go into work, I want you to love what you're doing. Don't get into the rat race. The same as me. Cause I'm like, I never, what I want to do, I want to do uh programming. I want to be a programmer. And I eventually like your, like your wife, I want to have my own startup, but I end up going into network engineering and I wish I had stuck with my first mindset to do programming. So knowing that I didn't push the same thing on my boys, I was like, hey, man, do what you love doing. 
if you, as long as you're passionate about it and you can pay some bills, I don't care what you're doing. Like my, so my oldest, he's going to, like I said, going to school for uh, marketing with an emphasis on advertising. My youngest is going to SCAD Atlanta for graphic mm. design work. And they yeah. both are doing exceptionally well. And my youngest is like, he's a matter of fact, he's going to France <laughs> next, uh, the first part of this uh, year for um, work, work study abroad. So nice. I, don't, I don't have no complaints. And I never, like I said, I never, I don't want to be like, I'm like your parents. I don't want to be one to hold them down and say, hey, you got to do what I did because, you know, it pays the bills. But no, nah, as long as you can take care of yourself and you love doing it and you have a smile on your face and you don't have to deal with the regular stress of like going into a regular nine to five and you're not happy about it. That's what I want them to have. Right. And it's like, you know, it's interesting too. I think about like, because now I feel like having a son, I might, I might be susceptible to do like the opposite, right? Where it's like, I mean, already he's a year and a half old. He's probably already tired of being at Pixar Studios. Any opportunity, he had his first birthday there. Mm-hmm. I'm immersing him in artists. I'm on productions, like already he's been on my chest in a baby Bjorn while I've been doing camera operation and just been on set for this stuff. Uh-huh. So I'm like, in my head, I'm like, ooh, I'm breeding him to be an artist, you feel me? But like, I have to look at the the example my parents set where it was like, no, nah, like I can't, I can't exert, or I can't put this, this, um, my aspirations what I, you know, like what I know on you. Right. Cause it, I already like mentally preparing myself for like, all right, he grew up in art. He's been exposed to artists. Watch him go out and be a data scientist or watch him go out and, you know, do something like. Well, he has a good mixture in his, his DNA. Cause I mean, you're, you're on one side of it. You got people like your younger brother, who's a data scientist and the other one of engineers. And then on your side, you got the creative side too, with the art and production and stuff. So, I mean, you don't know what he might do. I mean, he might do something unique and start with your wife, start his own company doing all this stuff. So, I mean, hey, I'm excited to see what he <laughs> what he turns yeah. into. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited to see that too. But yeah, man, that uh, I don't know. It's uh, it's been it's been good. They've been supportive. Um, and uh, you know, they don't know exactly. They still don't fully grasp their head around like what it is I'm doing. <laughs> no parent, no parent, no parent does. No. <laughs> no parent does. My dad taught me how to be an engineer. He taught me how to do like C sharp and uh, cobalt and stuff. And to this day, he don't know what the hell I do. And my mom definitely don't know, doesn't know what the hell I do. <laughs> and it's like, I have to, because my degree and stuff is in cybersecurity and computer science. And it's like, I have to tell them about technology stuff. And my dad taught me about technology and I'm still teaching him stuff. And I'm just like, so it, all parents are, are like that. So your transition over into San Francisco, how did they feel about that when you left from Michigan to San Francisco? Um, that transition? Um you know, I don't think that it was too uh too shocking. You know, I was uh, you know, I had already been a couple of years out of college. I did do a short stint in New York. Um, uh-huh. and then I transitioned to back to DC and then got uh did some creative work out there and then got into the tech thing. And it's just like, look, you don't got any kids. Um, you know, like you're already like a flight at least away from us. So you know, like, go ahead, do you. And like, also like I got out there because I got, I had a tech job. I got the job before I was out there. So I was like, yo, I'm going for this job. It's mm-hmm. in the tech industry and nobody in my family really ventured out West. Um, so it was like, and it was, it was an appropriate time to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and they love, they love my girlfriend, my girlfriend at the time now wife too. So they're like, oh, okay, you're not going out there alone. Mm-hmm. And also the like Howard 
the Howard uh, network is deep. So it was, it was like, okay, cool. Like, you know, he's going to have some, some support out there. Um, yeah. man, it's been like 10 years now. They've came out a few times. Um, they like it. I try to convince them like, yeah, maybe, maybe you guys want to move, but I don't think it's, I don't really. Now, think that costs living a little different now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the biggest living. part that I can't, I mean, I think it's partially generationally, but then a partially just like being in the Bay, they still understand. Like when I tell them, I'm like, yeah, my rent's like three grand a month. And they're like, uh, what? That's Ooh. like, that's Ooh. like a mortgage. And I'm like, I mean, it is a mortgage. Yeah. That's a mortgage out West, but honestly, yeah. hey, that's, that's half a mortgage out. You know what I mean? If I want yeah. like a comfortable house, I'm going to be paying seven grand a month. Yeah. Y'all's, y'all stuff out there is crazy when it comes to the cost of living. Yes. From yes. gas to everything is, Texas out there is extremely high. But I mean, it was the same thing in D.C. too. Like all those major heavily populated areas, the New York City, D.C., uh, Seattle, Washington, Atlanta's getting there now too, which pissed me off for all y'all implants coming to Atlanta. Atlanta's getting there too. And mm-hmm. definitely out in the San Francisco area and L.A. and stuff. It's like cost of living is just is crazy. Yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that might be, you know what breaks me but i'm trying i'm trying to stay here and really try to put this stamp on the oakland film uh scene as much as i can and hopefully try to help to support some initiatives to like to really like make this a, a new you know hub for film production so i'm trying my wife is out here so she's um she's now uh like her her green smoothie startup is now defunct uh-huh. um but like there was definitely some blessings in disguise from that because like one of the vendors she was selling to her green smoothies uh-huh. is a owned grocery store in Oakland in West Oakland as well, which is historically a food desert. Uh-huh. Um, and now and it's a cooperative now. So it's like she's still getting to do what was important to her, which is feed black communities, healthy food, uh-huh. um, an entrepreneur. But she has a team of owners that she's doing it with. Um, so that's another reason why it's like, yo, we got to stay out here. Like she's got a physical location. You know, we could even during the pandemic was like, oh, we can work anywhere. I was like, no, she's in a grocery store. So like, so yeah. has she applied for grants from the government for what she's doing? Um, yeah. From the government, from other organizations. I love, I, I love that about her is like, she, she came in and I think, I think she's raised in grants for the organization, like over $500,000 in grants in her time. Um, yeah, because they have a new one now. I was talking to some people about it because we were talking about blacks getting in tech, and because it, it it was a debate because they showed like the uh, diversity from OpenAI when they posted a picture when they brought back Sam Altman, uh, and the black community was like, "We where's the diversity at?" And people was like, "Well, you know, they do have some." I and mean, one of the brothers was a dark skinned Indian guy, which is not say it's not diverse, but it, they were thinking about it from the minority and uh, minority aspect of so Latino was in. You know, black Americans. But my point to that to say that was they were saying, well, how can we uh, work to get more black people into the industry? Well, black people out here. But I was like, but I know as far as the government goes, that because I I know somebody that works with the Biden administration and she helps towards getting the grants. They do have money allocated for like um, tech agriculture and uh, black tech and black uh, EV technology. So if you're a minority business and you into agriculture, like kind of what she's doing. They have, like, I think they allocated a billion dollars to go towards that. So if she hadn't looked at it, it's yeah. there. I'm like, and they don't have a lot of people applying for them because not a lot of people, work, Black people working in agriculture, like, especially tech agriculture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nah, we, she has a radar out for all the money. So hopefully it's on the radar, but I'll definitely have to mention that because, like, 
Yeah, I mean, she's like always looking for new sources. It is not an easy job. It's like I, as much as I complain about, um, you know, some of the like the day to day slog of like the film and animation industry. It's like, okay, imagine managing a business, but also having like homeless people come in and like being in the hood, and then people management and trying to like bring trained uh employees who maybe don't even have a college degree or even like much educate you know like like workforce training so it's like oh this is like a it's like it's like being a business owner mixed with being uh like social worker a lot of times i'm just like yeah. oh okay <laughs> never mind i won't complain about my cartoon work <laughs> so in your experience so, so do you think people have to go to school for film and productions to do what you're doing yeah, that's a good question. Um, no, <laughs> like short answer, no. Um, I mean, I think that there's a lot of industries you could say that with now. I would say that um, the benefits of it still mm -hmm. are building your film community. Okay. Um, you know, like in understanding theory. Um, if you're that type of learner, I am, it would probably have been hard for me to not go to film school and, and like, just rely on, I mean, aging myself, YouTube was a thing my sophomore year of college. Well, YouTube um, didn't exist when I was in school. So, I mean, you, you good. <laughs> you good. Yeah, Instagram, like all the like creators that are out now, like that didn't exist. So it would have been way hard right. back in the early 2000s. Now, like. I mean, it's like, if you really don't want, like, I, I just feel like there's a lot of online resources that uh -huh. can give you a lot of the theory, that can give you a lot of the practical training. Um, you know, you could save a lot of that tuition money and housing money on the software that you need, which is like, a lot of it's free out there. But it's like, yeah. look, if you can get, I mean, depending on what you want to do, I mean, your iPhones didn't even exist on my like sophomore junior year right so right. like um yeah so it's like if you can get an iphone if you can get access to adobe creative cloud uh and you can get access to youtube and you are resilient enough to find the other community of creative that can kind of teach and learn with each other mm. i think probably go it um without the the whole film degree um but like yeah um I think it still takes that level of discipline, you know, to to really like put that time in. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, so I don't I don't think it's necessary. I I don't know. Like I have my degree on my resume and stuff, mm -hmm. but even at you know even at where I work now, even my previous jobs, are they are they checking? Are they checking? You know, like are right. they calling Howard University? Like, did he actually? You know, what did he do? Like, I don't know if they're doing that. You know what I mean? Like. And most of the stuff that helped me to get a job now is stuff that I've done like after college. But I feel like the biggest adv advantageous component of me was building that 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 early film community, mm -hmm. getting that work in because I'm not that I'm also the type of person every like especially early on in my career I was like well if I'm doing it I'm doing it because it's going to be a TV show or it's going to be a movie I'm not doing these exercises or getting the practice in getting my reps in by doing like a pro a school project you know what I mean so it's like. Yeah thing of focused like all right now you guys are going to break off in the teams you're going to do a short film like having somebody to kind of like teach and give us assignments like that was a good way for me to like to learn so i think there's like i think there's 
definitely advantages, but man, I've seen people that even that came during my, that are the same age as me, mm-hmm. whose careers have far surpassed mine in the film and TV industry. And they didn't go to film school. You know what I mean? Like they just, they surrounded themselves with the community and got the learning and figured out what their, their skill set in it was. Yeah. That's what I like about y'all creatives because even as technical as I am, it's like when it comes to building stuff out and actually having that concept and design and making it look good, I, I don't have that shit at all. And it's like my kid, my youngest son, I used to draw. He gets that from me and like my um, side of the family. And it's like, I don't even draw as much as I used to anymore. Like, and, but, you know, he's taking that and developing. He, I mean, he writes his own manga and everything, though. So I love the way, you know, creatives like you all, like how your mind works. Because you don't necessarily need that. Like you just said, that, that formal education, it helps because mm-hmm. it helps with foundational skills. Uh-huh. But like you said, at the end of the day, if you can get that same thing from looking at doing your own research and stuff online, I mean, almost like a developer. I mean, you don't have to necessarily go to school to be a programmer. As long as you understand the foundational skills behind like computer science and that things of that nature, and you learn how to code, you can pretty much build your own stuff and go get a job anywhere. Right. Same right. as in film. Yep. Exactly. So what was that like for you that now that you're out there, you're starting to film your own series? Like, how did you actually start like actually working for somebody else in the nine to five doing film and production? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it was still eye-opening for me doing a, I mean, first at Baycat. Baycat was like maybe 15 to 20 employees. So it was small. Mm-hmm. It was, um, but I, I got this, I got to learn some practices that I needed. Um, Cause it was like, oh, uh, my shit is not organized as this. Right. So everything from like, all right, this is a call sheet, you know, and I've seen call sheets before, but I maybe would use them. Sometimes I wouldn't, but then I was like, nah, this is a call sheet. This is everything that you need to have inside of the call sheet um you know this is why it's important to have that call sheet and this is the role that's specifically putting the call sheet together doing all the logistical work right so mm-hmm. it was just like it was eye-opening to me I was like I always in my head I was like I'm a one-man band why do I need why do I need a production coordinator why do I need a producer who's not even touching the camera then we have camera operators who are like they're just focused on the camera they're just focused on lights they're just focused on audio like I can do everything myself. And then going to like Baycat, I was like, nah, like you need these roles because if you start to think that you can do it all, the quality is going to, to suffer because of that. So I was like, yeah. oh, once I got that, I started to apply that to my indie stuff. So that was great. Um, and then transitioning to Pixar. I mean, that's a whole new world. Um, and it's just like the, the, my, my entry point was like, I was managing a storyboard team uh-huh. And I'd never worked with storyboard artists before. And it was like eye-opening to me because it's just like, yo, like, especially in animation, we don't have time to waste money animating something for it to not work. We got to just <laughs> work with a team of storyboard artists, draw it out, you know? Right. And so that's been great for me. It's like, all right, everything, I'm big on, you know, coming, being in tech and understanding how startups go. Like I always use that term MVP, minimum viable product. Mm. And I'm like, okay, like there's always like, I, like there's always with the Baycat, the minimum viable product was a pitch deck. Right. And with, uh, Pixar, I mean, they start inside of pitch decks and scripts as well. But like whenever you're really starting to get the story together, that minimum viable product is the storyboard. So I'm just like, okay. So it's like, it's, and it's, it's always like what I, it, what I'm doing as an indie maker, uh-huh. I have these ideas in mind, but it's just good to see them even at a large scale continue to apply those things uh-huh. but this have the added 
added benefit of extra support. So it's not just one man or two man banding it. You have whole teams dedicated to that. That's their whole job. Um, I think the thing that's been a little like, I mean, you know, I think it's been a little like, okay, uh, I'm in the film industry now, but I'm in production. Mm -hmm. And honestly, most of my colleagues aren't necessarily, they don't even want to consider themselves part of the creative, right? They're the the guide rails keeping the creative in order, right? So yeah. they're inside of directed reviews. They're inside of those reviews, but they're, they're quiet. They're taking notes. They're figuring out what the next meeting is going to be after that. They're talk. They're thinking full on logistics, whereas I'm like, oh, I don't like that story. Point. What if you do this, 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 and this? And so right. that, that's a little bit jarring because it's just like, realize once you get into it, once you get into the film industry, are you actually a part of the creative part of the film industry? Right. That's where I'm like, oh, okay, cool. I I'm another step in, but if I'm trying to get over to the creative, mm. I still got some more, I got I got some more moves to make, you know, and I got some more proof that I gotta show that I'm a, a creative within it. So that's that's one thing that can be very like tricky, especially for up and coming filmmakers that like get their first onset thing. They're like, yo, I'm about to help make this movie. I mean, yeah, you are in the fact that you're gonna be driving out to get food for the creatives you know you're helping to make the movie by keeping the creative sustained <laughs> well it is because with the cult so go back to what we were talking about a minute ago like my wife she went to school for i think business she went to school for a business administration but then she ended up getting a certification in supply chain so she worked in supply chain even though she had taken some acting jobs because she wanted to get in film first but kind of like your parents she wanted to have something to sustain her but her coming back into film now she got trained by somebody else on how to be a script supervisor. And that's how she got her foot in the door. And it's like, you're not part of the creative team, but God damn they make a lot of money. It's stressful work. Like what you do too, it's, it's stressful work, but you get paid for it. Yeah. Yeah. And you yeah. don't have to have any form of education. It's just, you gotta, but I mean, she's not a part of that. I get, well, actually I think, yeah, she could get, yeah, cause she gets to change the script up every now and then. Oh, Okay. Nice. Yeah, I know yeah. she conforms, she probably conforms the scripts a lot. Yeah. And then it kind of just depends on like the the team, the directing team, the creative team that you're working with, right? Some directors yeah. are very, like, mm, thank you, yeah. have a role. And then there are directors that are like, what are your thoughts on that? You know, right. um, yeah. especially if you can find yourself in the room as a script supervisor and you um, offer something that's like, maybe you make up a different cultural makeup than the rest of the creative team, right? Like, I feel like, you know, I, I, in my experience, I've seen a lot of female script supervisors. In my experience, I've seen a lot of predominantly or all male creative teams. So then it's like, all right, y'all, uh, you're going to have some female characters in this. Like, you're going to need to have some different perspectives. How does that right. sound? You know, so it's like, yeah, you do. Hopefully you get an opportunity to like flex some of that creative, give some of that creative input mm -hmm. um, and be a voice in the room as well. Um, but it, it's also like very dependent upon who, what team you're working with, which I think is probably the most important thing that I've learned about all of the jobs that I've had in the industry is like, honestly, like I can be whatever on the, like I can have a great story, but uh -huh. if the creative team and the production team is awful people, I'm good. Versus I'd rather work on something where it's like, hey, it's a mid story, but I love the team that I work with. You know, like yeah. you're going to be spending lots and lots of hours with them. So like, you know, you got to have something to sustain you more than like, oh man, this thing's going to be great when it's out. But like, I'm 
but like I have an a, a ulcers in my stomach because I'm like de- like afraid to work with these people, <laughs> and I'm like not excited to go in. Now with you, well, because you work for Pixar. Beforehand, now were you part of a union when you was uh, working with what is Baycat? No, not at all. I've never been part of a union. Um, nah, with Baycat, it was like, I mean, yeah, they just saw my website, they saw my credentials, and they were looking for somebody who's. It's like a teaching artist kind of role, right? Like, yeah, I have video editing skills, but I wasn't. I've never had a full time job as an editor you know i've had producing skills but i'm not a part of the pga because none of my stuff would really qualify me to be a part of those things um i'm working my way towards maybe getting into like a producer's guild um but like i mean a lot of my stuff is production management and there honestly isn't like unless you get to that producer's level there's not a lot of unions for like production management folks production coordinators pas things like that so yeah, I was always curious about it because I'm like, I hear unions everywhere when it comes to film and production. I'm like, so do they have them for like everybody? Because one of my neighbors down the street, he works in film. He's a DP. And I'm like, oh. God damn, I was like, y'all are everywhere around here. And I, he's not a part of, no, he's not a part of a union. Yeah, he's not. Yeah, nah. Uh, yeah, I mean, it helps, especially when you become a DP. Script writers have unions for sure. Like writers have unions. Um, you know, um, I think that... For me, I've been more focused on getting full-time work inside of the creative industry up to this point. I might be hitting that juncture. It's like, all right, I'm an independent agent. I'm jumping from job to job. So whenever I'm like looking to become like an independent producer, I think it is going to be helpful to be a part of a producer's guild or something. Because that's going to be like rabbit. Like you, you don't see the types of jobs that I'm looking for on on career you know on what is it indeed.com or or linkedin uh, or linkedin or something you actually have to be a part of those networks and you hear about those opportunities and you get referred from your fellow producers so yeah i'm i'm getting to that point now where it's like okay if i want to do something if i want to be my own free agent producer it's going to really be valuable for me to be a part of these unions so how is it working at uh pixar animation Mm -hmm. um yeah i mean it's great. Um, it's very educational, really supportive um, of creative projects. Mm-hmm. Uh, even allow you to kind of like um, do your own independent shorts or other creative things. They have a, a great like um, uh, they, to call it Pixar University, where they bring in filmmakers. Um, they'll do screenings. They'll do Q and A's with them. But also, even if you like want to learn how to play the guitar or you want to learn how to sculpt, or you want to learn a new technical skill, they help to host class classes like that. Um, yeah, so like it's been it's been really great, like um, to help me to kind of continue to cultivate my skills and uh-huh. continue to build my filmmaker community. Um, yeah, so it's, it's been good. Then like, I mean, and the campus is dope. <laughs> like love working at the campus. Like I'm, uh, you know, I, you know, I, tri- I started during the pandemic um the first six months there I never got the steps foot in the studio but um once I did I was like oh I might not be working from home no more like because I only live I, I live two miles away from there oh shucks yeah yeah uh, so you don't have much of a commute yeah no nah, I bike to work um and they got a pool they got a gym they got free coffee it's not like the big tech tech startups so they have like free food all day but they have like yeah. subsidized food and like um yeah you know it's it's been uh it's been great um really great working environment great benefits 
um, and kind of unique um, in the landscape of like film studios and that like they're full, like most of the folks are like full time. Mm-hmm. So it's like, all right, we're wrapping up this project. What are some of the projects coming down the pipeline that you're interested in? Let's see how we can get you casted on the next show. So that's been great to like not have to be like to be working in the film industry, but not necessarily have to be constantly on the grind looking for that next uh, source of income. Now, how would you say what was the difficulty of you getting us out of there? Because everybody uh-huh. has their like their ideal company they would love to work for. Like a lot of people, especially in the tech industry, want to work for some of the big, you know, Apple's, Google's, Meta, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. What would it be to get into Pixar? Yeah, I mean, I think that that varies, like, uh, from person to person. Mm-hmm. To be honest, I didn't really like ever have Pixar on my purview. Like, I knew they were there, and I was like, man, that'd be dope to work there. But I, yeah. I can't draw. You know, I have no experience in animation. Um, so. I, I didn't really think it was a thing, right? But then um, the uh, Pixar was supportive of like the internship program I was leading. And uh-huh. um, I was able to uh, do, take my interns on tours of the campus and um, the the hosts of the tours were part of the university recruiting team. So, you know, like during the pandemic, just not really sure about the job security of a nonprofit. Uh-huh. I reached out to one of them and I asked like, hey, like, I, I can't afford entry level stuff, um, but if there's any more mid uh, level roles that are um, production related that don't require like actual art art like animation stuff, like right. let me know. Um, and she was like, yeah. And then I applied, and then I got I had a great interview with a, a few folks, and um, yeah, it worked out. So like I did, I would say that it's gonna definitely be different if you're working if you're looking to be a um, uh like a creative role there um a lot of those times roles come through the internship program Mm -hmm. Uh, they don't really have as many roles in production or internship programs in production management Mm -hmm. um it's also based on timing you know so i just happened to be it'd be at it was at a nice time um where they were looking to beef up their uh production management teams to support some projects and um so yeah like I think it's just a mix of timing and I, I like with any job, it helps to have, um, you know, um, some personal relationships yeah, uh, with, with folks. So, you know, cause they're filtering out thousands of resumes and the ones that are recommended, but directly from current employees that helps you to at least get that initial interview. Okay. That's good to know. So it could, yeah. Cause well, yeah, that's good to know. So now moving on from, what you're doing in your job let's mm-hmm. look at what you're doing outside of your regular nine to five yeah. who is seriously yeah uh um, who, who the hell is seriously yeah and so, then would you say being part of seriously did did, did you get a lot of influence from like black sportation old films like the mm-hmm. old dolomites if you if you're old enough to remember dolomite yeah yeah, yeah. i remember dolomite so seriously is this character that i created um he's a quantum physicist uh-huh the martial arts expert um, and he's an electro funk rapper. Um, he uh, his era is the 1980s. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always uh, described him as this this combination of like Doc Brown from Back to the Future meets Mr. T, right? So he's like this very like I can see that yeah, yeah. scientific dude, but also yeah. like this personality. Um, and uh, he breaks into rap songs a lot <laughs> and he's 
like the first season of this web series of full title is seriously the problematic time transplant mm-hmm. because you know he's he carries with him being like a character from the 80s he carries with him a lot of like uh like 80s tropes a lot of like kind of problematic or toxic male tropes in particular a bit mm-hmm. of a chauvinist at times uh you know like really into like whole milk and like uh just i mean just like you know like i know he got bubble guts yeah yeah you know (laughs) what i mean just like all all of these characters these tropes but much machismo kind of thing right big earring so um yeah and he breaks into rap and stuff like so he's like this music dude too so serious like i came up with this concept of Sirius Lee and this character um Mm -hmm. or uh a couple reasons first it's like i wanted i love time travel i love back to the future and i wanted to do something that was like a black back to the future i was doing this with an indie budget i knew mm-hmm. it was gonna be a lot easier to achieve bringing one character from the past to the present right and costumes and stuff for everybody else um and so that's what like kind of motivated this um was like trying to do this time travel thing it's like all right who would time travel what would be a funny era that they would time travel from where they would land here and everything would be completely different, you know? Like, his heroes um, are, like, Miss or Bill Cosby and O.J. Simpson, right? Because they had completely different, uh, you know, like, reputations during yeah. the 80s. So, um, that's who Seriously is. And honestly, it's like, as I've written it out and as I look back on the first season now, I'm like, okay, so this character is actually, like, uh, an amalgamation of of a, a few different characters. I think uh, my dad is a big influence on this character. My dad grew up uh, in in Hollis Queens, mm-hmm. um, like you know, like l- like late seventies, early eighties. He like you know is like he went to school and knew like freaking uh, Run DMC and like you know, so, and he's just a big personality, right? He moves his family to Tennessee, all white community. Uh, where I live in elementary school, like yeah, <laughs> that's another part of the journey. I like I live. Yeah, I was like, you left that out because I was like, y'all yeah. went from uh, New York to Tennessee. Yeah, yeah, we went from New York to Tennessee when I was three. I was there for like for like ten years um, as a kid, but we were the only like black family. And he did not shy away from being that big personality. He's a dresser. He's got crazy clothes. Um, and he's kind of, you know, like, I don't know. I feel like a lot of old black men are kind of hoarders these days too. They don't want to throw away any of their stuff. So I knew that this was going to be a character that like, when it came to a costumes, mm-hmm. let me go back home. Let me raid Pops's closets. Let me get some, some fly fit from it. Um, wait, so, wait, wait. So the costumes he has, that came from your dad's closet? A mix. Some of it was my dad's closet. Some of it was like a friend who like has like a clothing, like a, a vintage clothing company and she donated some stuff. So okay. it was a mix of both. Uh, but yeah, like, so that's kind of like, I mean, and also like, especially as I started to like being in the Bay, being in the time of the Me Too movement, having conversations with my dad, hearing him defend Bill Cosby at times, like hearing some of this, you know, it's like, okay, like, how do I, how do I like, not be lecturing my dad you know but how do i expose him to like maybe some of his like old school ways of thinking yeah uh, that may be considered problematic uh in this era um so i i would say that he's been <laughs> a big inspiration for this character um i mean yeah i mean like me as being a writer and a performer 
Um, I like the rap song part of it just kind of like came into it. Like, you know, I like I wrote one kind of teasy song because I saw like Mr. T had like a really weird rap career uh, and had a couple of really cheesy rap songs. So I was like, yeah. I'm going to add that in. I'm like, I'm a rap, I'm like an aging rapper. Like, but I'm like, I, I feel like it's kind of weird to be like, oh, I'm a rapper, indie rapper. And I'm like in my like late thirties now and stuff. So I was like, all right, well, I can definitely write cheesy eighties raps. You know what I mean? And if I put it in the context of the comedy thing, nobody's got these, like, nobody's like bars, you know what I mean? Like, right. so I was able to like, kind of incorporate that in the martial arts component. I just felt like that. I just wanted to throw something else on. <laughs> like, I just I felt mean- like- it's so a like, good thing because, like I said, that's what you got a dolomite, you got a pootie tang. I don't know if you, I don't know if you've seen yeah. pootie tang. <laughs> yeah. So now, yeah. yeah, that's a good thing to add on to it because I mean, it adds that whole comedic humor with it. Because I mean, yeah, why would he know how to fight? Exactly. And then, like, also, I don't feel like enough people talk about Black Dynamite. Uh, like yes. Black Dynamite, the that's live action fun. series was just great. I mean, it was like a parody of black exploitation films, right? Uh, and that's like I didn't grow up watching black exploitation films, but I knew of them. My dad had like Superfly and all that shit on. So I, but like Black Dynamite was like it allowed me to understand the format for black exploitation films, uh-huh. and it also just played on that trope of like they always just know how to fight. They always they know who or whatever. So yeah. I was like, right, we gonna give them some nunchucks. We gonna give them a couple of moves. Um, and so yeah, all of that stuff from like my dad's era that influenced him. The stuff from my era that was parodies of stuff from my dad's era, like I kind of all just like merged that together and created this character um, who, like, yeah, like now exists as this goofy ass rapper. <laughs> now, because you're a filmmaker and you're a writer, in your opinion, what what is people's fascination with the eighties? Like, mm. if you notice, like, especially like cartoons and stuff, people have a strong fascination with the eighties. And I was like, bro. You was just a sperm cell. You didn't even really even exist. <laughs> it's like, but you focused on that time period. Yeah. Um, well, I I mean, I think that people's fascination with previous eras is really just it's more of a like one, the 80s is just like it's bright, it's vibrant, it was big, it was loud, right? Yeah. And so it's all, you know, you can always, you can see, sometimes it's kind of, they get mixed together. It's like, was that made in the 80s? Or is that just something parody from the 80s? Like, it's just, like, I'd wear this vaporwave shirt. Like, that That all kind of started to come back. But a lot of, a lot of the stuff that was, is like, timepieces that are made from the 80s yeah. were made in the, like, early 2000s and 90s by creatives and writers who that was their time period, you know? Like, so that, yeah. like, that just they go back to that time because they do remember that more vividly. And I realized now, and as I was doing it, I was like, oh shit. Like I was born in 1987. Right. So I am an 80s baby, but it was like three years. Right. A lot of that is like my dad's era that I'm kind of harking back to. Right. But as I wrote it and as I was starting to produce it in great costumes, I was like, oh shit, I should have made this nineties. Cause I'm a nineties kid. And, like, that's a, and that's why I say that because like you see a lot of styles coming back. It's from the seventies and it's eighties, and I haven't seen anything from the nineties yet. Like nobody goes back to the nineties. I will challenge you. I'll challenge you to start looking because I'm like starting to peep more and more nineties period pieces. So look, a solid example from Pixar, uh-huh. the movie Turning Red, is about like this Asian girl from Canada who turns uh-huh. into a red panda. It's a period piece and it's placed in the nineties. 
Why? Because she grew up in the 90s. <laughs> is it the 90s? Yeah. I saw that. I'm like, is it yeah. the 90s? Yeah, that's a period piece from the 90s. That's why there's like Tamagotchis in it and shit like that. Like, that's oh, all. Oh, yeah. The little hangout. Yeah, I do remember yeah. that. Um, there's like the, this movie called The Wackness, which I loved, which is another like 90s period piece. I'm seeing more and more of that becoming uh-huh. the new 80s, right? Like, because living through it, I was like, the 90s were whack. Like, you wish it was like the 80s. But now I'm like, yo, the 90s had its own vibe too. And honestly, like, I'm starting to, I'm mixing 80s and 90s, right? I uh-huh. realized, because seriously has this high top. Which I'm like, I'm like, yeah, the high top, you know, kid and play. Um, That's 90s, uh, though. Exactly. <laughs> like, after I, like, did, like committed to yeah, the high top for this character, I was like, shit, like, all right, well, seriously, he's fast forward. So he was doing the high top in the 80s. Before. Well, I mean, they had the, um, what was it called? The Gumpy? Yeah, with the S curl and stuff yep. in there, and they had the part. So, I mean, that is still technically part of yeah. the 80s. It was, it's that, that transition, right? Yeah. It's, like, it's like in that transitional period. Like, some of it started in the late 80s, right? Yeah. Um, like, even seriously, he has this flip up glasses, which clearly I got from a uh, 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 different world. Different world, yeah. Uh, but it's like, yeah, and I remember watching Different World and loving those glasses. 90s, bro. That's 90s, like, yeah. <laughs> like, he's wearing cross colors in it. So, like, uh, I'm glad nobody's really picked at it. Like, I only had one person like pick at it. Like, bro, like most of this stuff is like '90s references. But like, I and I think the thing that's big from the '80s that I just I loved, and it's like late '70s, '80s, which I wish would come back in some level, is this this electro funk hip hop scene. Like, it is coming back. Like, you feel like it's coming back? Cool. Yeah. Like, okay. Like big back. big costumes. Like weird Afro-futuristic kind of themes. Yeah, that's so, what I was loving about the eighties. I think it's going to be in the aspect of like cosplaying, mm-hmm. like especially in like in our community now, which why I'm, I'm all of us nerds out there that, that watch anime and stuff. We not we don't we're not getting picked on no more because <laughs> now it's become popular, more mainstream. So yeah, mm-hmm. you're starting to see a lot more of that now. Like even in like they have this restaurant here. Like every Monday, they do like a, a retro gaming type night. But yeah, people come in there in costume and everything. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think that it's, I, I feel like it is coming back, but it's been rebranded as Afrofuturism. Okay. Like that's the new like phrase, right? And as I was making first part seriously, Afrofuturism was kind of on the light horizons. But like, yeah, if you go back, I'm trying to think of some artists like uh, from that era. Like, it's, I mean, Earth, like, well, you had Earth, Wind, and Fire because they yeah. were more future they did a lot of more futuristic stuff and these big performances coming down to spaceships and things exactly and uh uh george clinton and yep. uh e-funk E-Funk, like yeah yeah like that that i was like yo this is like such a cool thing that's now fitting like it's it's becoming hip again but mm-hmm. people don't generally like outside of our communities they're not familiar with like like that weird era of electro funk that was happening in the late seventies and eighties. The parents are, it's just not, yeah. it's not making it down to the kids. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Because especially I mean, when we start talking about like fashion and stuff. And I mean, especially when you see in our community, like you wear anything tight fitting or something that seems like it's flamboyant, they automatically want to categorize you and put you in a different box. And I was like, Hey man, 
you don't have to go back but like 15 but 20 years and they were right. wearing that and then i mean they had eyeliner on and everything right right and nobody questioned it yeah <laughs> and like yeah but now it's like yeah it can kind of if not contextualized right it comes off as like oh like what's this weird stuff everything is like right. you know yeah i don't know i like that big stuff and so i wanted to incorporate that so yeah, man. So that's that's how I got to the 80s uh, slash 90s kind of mashup with this character and um, and the music and just kind of helped me to like write music for it. And yeah, it's been a fun journey. So, yeah, that's that was season one and it was all time travel um, and all live action. Uh, and yeah, then I got how has into- the community been like, how do they, they feel towards it? Or are you even paying attention to numbers or you just producing to produce because it's a, it's a passion project and it's what you love doing? Yeah. Um, I, uh, every time that I have a, a screening, people love it. They, uh-huh. you know, I've had a lot of them that end up being around Halloween and stuff. So it's a good time for people to come dressed up, do 80s nights, that kind of thing. Um, I'm not from Oakland uh, originally. You know, I've been out here for a decade now, but like, for me, it's been really important to just put Oakland on and showcase it and talk about some of the real shit that we're like experiencing out here. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so yeah, I think people are, are really gravitating towards it. I haven't, I haven't really been looking at the numbers. <laughs> like it's not on YouTube. YouTube, you can only stream it on like certain platforms. The first season's on uh, predominantly it's on Quali TV right now, which is a black owned streaming platform. And yeah. um, you know, I get a little bit of revenue from it. It's nice. Um, it's not my full-time job yet you know but um you know it's been a passion project and i think i'm always in that phase of like man this project is going to get me to the next thing you know so i i put it up on my website i promote it i share it with people i try to have screenings just so that again people can start to see me as a creative um and doing something that's a little bit different from what nor what's you know normal for like the the like for black content creators out here which i feel like it's been very much like kind of more you know it's a little bit more like kind of romantic comedy kind of stuff i see a lot of like the insecure kind of vibes a lot of like yeah stuff and i'm like hey that's i love watch that type of content but if i'm gonna do some content it'd be like (laughs) like i I like sci-fi stuff yeah yeah and that's that's the thing is like and now is the time to do it because it's like finally like black nerds and stuff is like are being mm-hmm. recognized and the content is being made on a bigger scale um, and that's so. why i love um keenan because he's making all those like the horror movies and stuff that we don't traditionally have you talking about uh jordan peele peele no not yeah not keenan yeah jordan peele what am i talking about yeah jordan peele right oh, yeah. and it's like now because even tyler perry had made one too so i'm like I want to see more of that because i'm tired of the love stories i'm tired of people being lawyers and doctors and stuff okay though all those are great stories that's been told countless number of times can we get into space because if if you look at it we don't exist in the future if you look at everybody else (laughs) it might be one or two of us we don't necessarily exist in the future and i can't get mad at it because i mean it's their production so i'm not going to scream for diversity on somebody else's on their set that's all i'm like you know i think we should be making our own and i'm even when it comes to like black animation i'm starting to see a lot more black anime coming up now than I did before, because people were saying, well, you know, you know, Japan Impatient is cool, but can we get some more Black people? And I'm like, well, we got enough artists. I'm like, we can just really start producing our own. So I've seen people start doing, producing their own work. 
Yeah. So, I mean, kudos to you for doing it. Because, I mean, I want to see more sci-fi futuristic stuff. Thank you, man. Yeah, I'm I'm hoping to, uh, I'm hoping we can, you know, make a uh, a big splash with the second half of the season and um, just continue to be a part of that. I don't know if the, this show in its current form is going to be uh, it, but, like, I think it's still, it's like a proof of concept for, and like a way to kind of expose people to like my sensibilities and, and my, my humor and, uh, you know, my, my interests. And I think there's a lot more of this stuff coming up. Um, so. so how did you get involved with Quilly TV? Yeah. Um, Quilly TV first season, I was looking for uh, um, some avenues to, to, um, you know, distribute it. Um, uh-huh. and I reached out to them like through their, like, their form online. Um, they responded quickly. They were into it. Um, the timing worked out well too because they had at a time been partnering with uh, the comedian Lil Rel, um, who was like helping to curate a list of comedic content. Mm-hmm. So it was selected to be a part of like that batch of content. It was like curated by Lil Rel. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was just really kind of like a cold email or cold form submission and the timing worked. Um, and so uh yeah the founder her name is Deshana Spencer she's been really supportive um we've continued to chat throughout I got it up on her site I produced a little documentary um about my wife's uh grocery store that also is on there and then um I was looking to like because I self-funded the first season I was like look I can't I can't keep doing this um but I have an idea for a second uh half of the season but I need to get some like some funding to do it and so I partnered with her um pitched the second season um and yeah she agreed to a budget uh, which was what I was able to use to produce this season okay so have you thought about going to bigger streaming platforms uh well I can't with this half this second season because um it's exclusively on on quality tv their their content um yeah, I mean, I, I think my, like, one, I want to help, like, I, I hope that both of our, our stars can rise together, and I want to help to continue to, like, push Quality TV as a platform, uh-huh. um, but also I'm, like, you know, I'm a free agent whenever it comes to new, new stuff, you know, and I, and I feel like this is a stepping stone. It was, like, oh, shit, I can get some nice funding by putting a pitch deck together and coming up with some scripts, okay, cool. That's it on a small scale. Now I'm like, all right, I'm about to be a pitch machine, right? So mm-hmm. uh, I have like other ideas for other series um, that kind of like are in that vein. I feel like all of them are going to have black characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of them really, I want them to take place in Oakland. Um, all of them are going to be comedic mm-hmm. uh, and it'll be a mix of animation stuff, live action stuff. But that's really where I'm at now. I'm like still like producing seriously because I only released five episodes. I have five more to go. So I'm mm-hmm. still producing that for Quelly TV. But simultaneously, I'm working on putting together some um, some more pitch decks and reaching out to larger streaming platforms and networks um, to, you know, see what else I can get greenlit. Because it's almost like was it was Black Jesus. Where was that based out of? I feel like that was California, too. Yeah, that was based in LA. Okay. Uh, I love Black Genius, Black, uh, Black Jesus. And that was honestly like uh another one of the inspirations um was because it was like this is a live action short form series that's on like Adult Swim. 
Yes. It doesn't. Even, it's not even animated. And I was no. like, oh yeah, like I want to do something like this. You, I guess you don't have to be animation solely to do be on uh, Adult Swim. So that's why I kind of made like the first season. It's all. It's like it's all consolidated into one large episode or one mm. large short film, I guess, on um, Quelly TV. But it's like ten mini ep- micro episodes. They're all like five to six minutes each. Um, it's a good starting point too. I mean, because that's where I, well, I can't say this where he started from, but that's where my first introduction to Tyler the Creator was from. Adult yeah. Swim. Oh, okay. With Tyler the Creator was on Black Jesus. No, 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 no. He had a show on Adult Swim. Oh, oh yeah. You talking about the jellies? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I tell you all the time. I was like, he didn't start off rapping. I, I was like, he had him a little show on um on Cartoon Network, and I was like, and it was well, Adult Swim, but still part of Cartoon Network. But I'm like, it was good. It was funny. I mean, it was late night, so you had to be up late to watch it. But I was like, it was just as weird as he was, as he is. So yeah, it was great. Yeah, um, I love what adult Adult Swim is like. Honestly, like until recent, I was like, yo, I gotta get on Adult Swim because like they're, I mean, you know, there's Fox with the Simpsons and stuff. There's Common yeah. Sense, South Park, but then I was seeing all of this adult animation stuff on Adult Swim, and I was like, yo. Uh, I gotta get there, right? But like and I say, as of recent, like I still love and uh, want would love to work with Adult Swim in some capacity. But Netflix has got a chokehold on the adult animation uh, scene right now. They have. Yeah, I love like, Netflix, and I ain't got no beef for Amazon on the rest of them, but Netflix is doing it. Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm loving to see like more of this, right? Like I gotta be honest, like I feel like it's. I gotta keep it a secret being in animation and being a Pixar, but I'm like, oh, I don't know nothing about anime. But what? you don't know nothing I, about anime? I mean, nothing? I'm learning now, but like I was never, I knew never was an anime person growing up. Like um, I was an I was a Simpsons fanatic and a South Park fanatic. That's what lured me into animation. Now I'm like, okay, like I need to go back and do my my history and stuff. But that's the reaction you gave is like how people, they're like, what? Like I'm actually working, I'm producing a short right now that's like very anime heavy. The director like has deep knowledge of anime. And I'm like, all right, cool. Like that doesn't stop me from helping to be the producer on it. But like uh, I have a lot of homework to do to really like, to really familiarize. So, I mean, I, I don't, because a lot of people don't, because like I said, it just became mainstream. So, because a lot of people really didn't get involved with anime to that degree. And it was like, all of us that were, you know, like I said, we got picked on for now with like, um, what's his name? That's doing it. Come on, see old age, you forgetting stuff. But everybody's like talking about it, Meg's day, and she's rapping about it. She talks about it on some of her live streams and stuff. Michael B. Jordan, like even with Creed, Creed 3, like his fight scenes were like the Goku and Vegeta fight scenes and um, a lot of other fight scenes from anime and stuff. So now it's become more, a little, uh, little Uzi Vert, he talked he had some of his stuff is in like one of his music videos from his current album he did one with his video was based after like akira riding at akira motorcycle and doing like the whole slide so now it's become more mainstream so i don't when i talk to people and you haven't seen it before believe me i'm not i'm not judging y'all the way that we used to get judged <laughs> but no it's i like to see it though because i mean animation anime is, is hot yeah i would say my only and it's like it's very loose but uh, connection to anime has been the Boondocks. The Boondocks for me was like this, like yeah, you know, it was like the the intersection of adult animation, black uh-huh. adult animation, and anime. 
So I was like, all right, cool. I don't get down with anime, but like I could watch the Boondocks all day. To me, that's that's anime because I loved him. I forget the writer's name. I loved his. I used to read. I used to read the comic first. Yeah. Before he actually got production on it. So once he got production on it, I was super excited about that. And I'm excited to see that he is coming back too because they're they're allowing him to pick up production rights again to where mm. it's is based on his own writing style because he got booted out that last season, which it ended up being trash. Mm-hmm. Dang, I didn't know they're coming back again. That's great. I'm yeah. I I mean, so that's that's my uh oh, man. I love me some some boondocks, man. That was like that was like, oh my gosh, I'd never I mean, black animation, black adult animation prior to that was like it was non-existent. The PJs, remember that yeah. that that claymation show about Eddie Murphy? <laughs> like, but that's like, well, I guess it's the same thing because me and my kid debated about it because my kid is a super uh, anime nerd too, and we were talking about it the other day because people were saying anime and cartoons not is not the same thing. He was like, well, technically it is because anime is just a Japanese version of just cartoons. And I was like, yes, technically it is, but we don't want to believe that. <laughs> so, but yeah, because we had, no, because we had um Fat Albert. That's not adult animation, though. You don't think what, so? What, 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 yeah. I don't know. I didn't watch enough Fat Albert. I actually referenced it this season, but like, I thought it was like a Saturday morning kids show. Ew, I mean, yeah, because back then you couldn't have. So do you understand the premise behind like uh, Japan animation at all? Why, yeah. they, why, why they do it in Japan? Yeah, yeah. And started so, out as like Ninja and stuff. Yeah, because they couldn't, because they're so locked down. A lot of stuff that they do in animation, they can't do in actual live action like films and stuff. So they would have all the sex scenes and everything else. They would put it in animation because they didn't have any, you know, laws mm-hmm. advantage against that. So, mm-hmm. but for, for us, like we were heavily regulated. So we couldn't have our cartoons do anything that was horribly graphic. But yeah, I would consider Fat Albert like an mm. adult animation because I mean that's people can relate to that because they were practically adults. But yeah, then when you got to the PJs, who were the PJs? I think it was a couple other ones. Those were adult. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, man. So I don't know. I'm trying to, I mean, I, I gotta learn to learn up on some animation, but I think at the end of the day, I'm just trying to like really, regardless of like the style i'm really just trying to with the second season just try to like really put on for black animation um folks like carl jones he's a big inspiration of mine um and uh you know air magruder and i just want to continue to be a part of that you know like that's what i've been describing this uh season as like this uh mixture of rick and morty meets uh black dynamite to some extent but also like this is a show that i feel like people don't really know about mike tyson mysteries which is hilarious uh we don't know about mike tyson mysteries i mean if you're you sound like you you got a deep knowledge but like public him and his pigeon the pigeon that talked all the time absolutely that was funny that was fun some funny stuff yeah like mike tyson mysteries hit for me so i'm like yo like we need to do more of this yeah, um, and I just don't, you know, like I just don't know. I don't see a lot of people like black folks, particularly in this lane. It feels like it's like a very like white genre right now as adult animation. So I'm trying to like usher in, drive more folks to it. You know, I yeah, I can agree with you, but I kind of feel the same way when it comes to tech. Like we work in it. Like I know some, you know, my kids are black graphic. He's a graphic designer, but um as far as like studios 
No, because it, it's the same thing when it comes to business. Like you need the funding. I mean, I mean, similar to what you're doing. Like you need funding to actually for production and stuff and animation. Man, that's, that's a lot of work. I mean, it's a lot, especially if you don't want to like do any CGI. You want to hand draw everything. That takes a lot of work. Like I said, the black uh, anime I I've been supporting online. Like I I just sent you the link for it. It's been pretty good. But the guy he's been working on it for two years and he just finished up his like sixth episode and right. he's been on it for two years already so there's right. a lot of work to go which is probably why you don't see a lot of us working into stuff like that yeah but i'm excited for us to be to get into it now is there is there so so what's next for for theo so you're going to do another ep- another season of mm-hmm. seriously or are you looking to get off into another project so what's next so like Right now, you can see the second season of Seriously um, on Quelly TV. It's called Seriously in the Multiverse Mix-Up. Uh-huh. There are only five episodes. So I need to complete production on the remaining five episodes. So um, I'm hoping over the next year to complete that, get that up online. Um, I think it, part of that process is a very high likelihood that I'll be launching a crowdfunding campaign of some sort. Um, I'm going to need to kind of, you know, help get some some uh funding from some other set revenue sources outside of just quality tv mm-hmm. um so look out for a crowdfunding campaign um for that um and then outside of like seriously um really just focused on like trying to get dip my hands into more animation projects um so i'm producing a short right now um that i mentioned earlier like through uh pixar's co-op program Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm hoping that um, I'll also be getting some funding for that to to uh, to get it'll be like a you know like a my prestige film that I'm helping to produce which is like a little bit more like feels uh, has a little bit more darker tones to it mm-hmm. um, so I'm hoping that that short's called the other side um, is directed by uh, um, a young writer out here named Eric Phillip um, so helping trying to push on that um, then outside of that like uh, you know trying to push uh working with the Oakland film initiative to really try to push for more support of creative projects that are based in Oakland either live action or animation projects so that's something that I'm excited about is just trying to connect with filmmakers uh filmmakers like Boots Riley W Kamau Bell mm-hmm. uh Cheryl Dunier they're all uh based here in in Oakland and are looking to really try to push like for more legislation to open up filmmaking because it's very cost prohibitive here in Oakland to film like a show like Showtime has a show called Blind Spotting that's uh-huh. based in Oakland but they did uh, most of the principal principal photography for that in LA because it was cheaper for them to um, uh, recreate like a, a townhome mm-hmm. in LA than it would for them to just simply like get the permitting to film it here in Oakland so. Um, I want to help to to open up like so there's less red tape it's less cost of uh, it's you know there's less deterrence based on like uh, you know like getting permits and stuff to film uh-huh. here and then open up like you know like if there's if you actually have a production that's shot here in Oakland that's a job creator so I want to help to be a part of that movement helping yeah. to get more uh, filmmakers to film this stuff here give more job uh, access to jobs and then like I want animation to be a part of that too because um the bay area is a hub for animation and gaming mm-hmm. um unfortunately a lot of the folks that are in that industry don't look like myself um you know because it's so costly to get that training 
you know, there's only so many slots at these companies. They go to the biggest schools to recruit from there. Um, so it's like, well, rather, rather than going and bringing people to from LA or from these big schools uh, to Oakland, why don't we start to build that workforce of folks that are really like creating animation and gaming? Um, why don't we start to like train them and get them built up here? So I'm hoping to really uh, be a part of that initiative. And I don't know, maybe a nonprofit, maybe uh, an animation studio myself at some point, but mm -hmm. those are some of the long-term goals that I have. Okay. And where can, they, where can people find your work at right now? Yeah. Um, so you can go to my website, um, theohollingsworth.com. Um, you can see some samples of my my previous work. You can uh, get links to the Serious Lee season one and two. Um, some other web series and stuff that I've done as well are on there, my documentary. Uh, so yeah, that's a, that's the best place to to see some of my stuff. Um, and you can follow me on Instagram. Um, Serious Lee's Instagram is seriously, S-I-R-I-U-S-L-E-E -E underscore series. Um, and then my personal Instagram is Teddy Ruxpin. Um, I think it's Teddy underscore Ruxpin, actually. Uh, but like the cartoon character. Uh, or like, not the cartoon character, but the uh, stuffed animal. From the like stuffed animal, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, check me out there. Um, or just like Google me, Theo Hollingsworth, and you'll be able to find all those links to all that stuff. I'm ready for them to do a horror film on Teddy Ruxpin. <laughs> that would be funny. Lit, <laughs> All right, man. Thank you for coming on, brother. I actually, uh, appreciate the conversation. I appreciate you, Antonio. Uh, yeah, it was great, great connecting, and you know, hopefully, some of your, your fans enjoy the work. Oh, absolutely. And then one thing I do ask all of my guests that come on is like, leave us the crowd with something positive, if you mm -hmm. may. Yeah. Um. Uh. I mean, I think. Um. I mean, my whole career has just been about like not um, waiting for a green light. Um to to do the things that you're passionate about right mm -hmm. not waiting for like this credential or that credential if you have an idea um don't don't hesitate to just start making it um and also don't let uh perfection be like the enemy of like completion you know like um just because you know i, I i'll admit with this season seriously there's some there's some imperfections in it you know what i mean but i'm like you know what like that's just a stepping stone. So, you know, stop, don't, don't be precious about it. Just get it out there. Um, and it'll, it'll resonate with the right audiences. And um, yeah, so just do it, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I appreciate it. I'm going to pick it back off of that. Cause I mean, one thing I will say too, though, is like when you're trying to find yourself and find a career that you want to work in for like the new pe people, there's new content creators or creatives, don't let the pressures of your family like push you into doing something that you don't love doing. Go for what you love. Go for what you're passionate about because that's the one thing that you can... It's, it's hard to go through life and have regrets. So don't regret anything that you're doing. Go for what you love and be consistent about what you're doing. And then, like, like you know, like Theo just said, once you get into it, use what you got. Like, use a smartphone. Use whatever you got to build and create the empire you want to create. Don't let anything hold you back and don't let anybody tell you no. It's out there. It's ready for you to grab. All you got to do is just be consistent about it and just go and get it. So thank you all for tuning in for this week's episode in this series on Westward Bound. Thank you, Theo, for coming on again for uh, episode number two. 
Y'all can find me on pgdtv.online. And make sure you go check out last week's episode where I interviewed Rob Young, especially when he's talking about uh, deported veterans, something I had never heard before and something that I'm really going to help advocate on is like to bring all of our veterans back home. So love you guys. Y'all stay safe. It's Antonio. PGTV.